of red earth alongside the pit, preparing to fill it without delay. So, who are the two men at the graveside? persisted the peddler, a naturally inquisitive soul. The tall one is the king's coroner from Exeter, Sir John de Wolfe. The bailiff called him because there were six dead in one house. Why he was summoned I can't fathom, for it's obvious that it wasn't foul play. The other one's the parish priest, I suppose. The fuller spat contemptuously on the ground. Not him! Our craven bastards too scared to go near anyone with a plague, even to shrive them. That brave little fellow is the crowner's clerk. As the crowd in the churchyard began to drift away, the chapman shouldered his pack and trudged away from the village, heading for open country. Weary though he was, he had no desire to stay around Limpston if the yellow sickness was stalking its lanes. Chapter One In Which Crowner John Consults the Sheriff You can't keep riding around half of Devonshire just to look at folks dying of a moraine, objected the sheriff, pouring de Wolf some wine from a pitcher on his table. There's no profit in it for the king's courts if there's no crime, and sooner or later you'll catch it yourself. As he picked up the cup and drank, the coroner grunted, his favourite form of response. I agree, but what do I do when I get a message from a bailiff or a sergeant of the hundred? The law obliges them to notify me of any unusual deaths. Henry de Fernelis, a grizzled old knight almost a score of years older than John, shook his head. Now that this yellow distemper is becoming more common along the coast, we'll have to tell the local officers not to bother you with such deaths. I hope to God that it doesn't spread further inland. The coroner sprawled in a leather chair with his long legs sticking out towards the hearth, nodded his agreement. The folk down there are blaming it on vessels coming in from across the channel. But from what my shipmasters tell me, at the moment there's no such disease in Normandy, Brittany, or even Flanders. De Wolfe was a partner in a thriving wool-exporting business in Exeter, which had three vessels that regularly sailed back and forth to the places he had mentioned. "'Well, just be careful, John,' rumbled the sheriff. We don't want to lose you again after just getting you back in harness. After being the county coroner for two years, de Wolfe had recently spent a few months in London at the King's command, but was now back, and three weeks earlier had resumed his old duties. They were sitting in the sheriff's chamber in the keep of Rougemont, Exeter's brooding castle in the upper corner of the old walled city. Outside the November morning was grey and cold, with an easterly wind hinting at early snow. John usually called upon his old crusader friend each day, to discuss cases, politics, and generally grumble about the world going to the dogs in the way that older men do, though de Wolfe was only forty-two. Together they were the main law officers in Devon, the sheriff being the king's representative in the county, responsible for keeping the peace and the collection of taxes, while the coroner had a multitude of functions, including the complicated business of bringing cases to the royal courts.
Are you settling back in again, John? asked his grey-haired colleague solicitously. He looked across at DeWolf, who he thought was looking a little drawn and haggard. At the best of times, the coroner was hardly a cheerful soul, but now his long face, large hooked nose, and the deep-set eyes below the dark eyebrows looked even grimmer than usual. His jet-black hair, worn long and swept back, unlike the neck-crop of most Norman gentry, was still without a trace of grey, but de Fenelis thought he detected signs of ageing in the coroner's face. "'I'm glad to be back home,' said John in his deep, sonorous voice. "'Westminster didn't suit me. There was too little work and too much palace intrigue for my liking. And Matilda, how is she taking her return home?'